Oh, I can't believe it. Vikings territory breakdown with Mark Craig and Joe Oberly Marks from the Star Tribune. But the Vikings cannot win a break. Is that a, is that a welfare check on you? Uh, it should be. I, I don't know what's going on. I, you know, we're all set to talk about Kevin O'Connell coming to the Vikings for uh, their next head coach. And now there's Hammond and Hahn going on. We, you know, he's supposed to say he just won a Super Bowl on Sunday. And he's probably still drunk. And that's okay. And, uh, Mark, you're telling me that they had a meeting set for Thursday. But now I'm seeing that uh, – PA reported on KFAN that uh, you're supposed to come on Thursday, and then now you're not. So it's the usual uh, torture for Vikings fans to, to drag this out to this point, or or it may not happen or whatever. But, Mark, uh, we shouldn't worry. What are your thoughts? Uh, are you saying that some rumors may or may not be uh, accurate, uh, depending on which minute of the day it is? Uh you know, I, I, I was told that, you know, that there, you know, Thursday was the press conference. There, you know, there's a, there a parade in LA on uh, Wednesday. Heck, LA, uh, Wednesday from Sunday to Wednesday, LA may forget what happened on Sunday. I, I don't know. They've got things to do out there. But yeah, I mean, and this is, but this is what, this is the problem you run into with the Josh McDaniels. This rule, this loophole should have been closed as soon as Josh McDaniels did that to the Colts after the Super Bowl 52 at, at U.S. Bank Stadium. It should be if you if you got a guy, you should be able to sign him. I mean, he can do both. He can he can be signed, and he can also, you know, handle his Super Bowl duties. If that's, you know, you want to give guys the opportunity to become a head coach, but you also want to protect teams. So yeah, it's not a done deal till it till it is a done deal. But uh, my belief is that it's going to happen. I don't see Sean McVay leaving for the TV booth. He's thirty six years old. Um, part of this could be. The media that's that's out there today um, misinterpreting this. The interview that was right after the fact, he said he wanted to just enjoy tonight with his team. After saying, "I believe no, no, no," and then so any any interview that's done anymore can be interpreted two ways. Just like everything else in this country, Joe, there's half the people that see hear one thing. There's half the people that hear the other things. And with sports, it's probably more than half. They they just it has to be a constant whirlwind, but. I, in saying that, I, I believe the guy will be signed. It, it, it'll be, we'll be like, I'll be like Mike Tyson, settle down, settle down, you know, calm down. Um, but until it's done, yeah, there's always a possibility of something happening. So you're saying it's not signed. They cannot, the rule states you can't sign them until after a certain point. Is that until after the Super Bowl? Yeah. When he's working for another team, yeah, you can't sign them. So it's an agreement. It's an agreement. Um, and you can back it. Yeah, like with, with McDaniels, I believe they had the Super Bowl in Minneapolis uh, all week. He was asked about the Colts and, you know, the Col handling the Colts and the Patriots. And then uh, I believe he was announced as the coach on Monday, uh, press conference on Tuesday or something like that, uh, and he didn't show up. <laughs> or he, he backed out. I went back to the Patriots. So, yeah, I mean, let's say all this, some of this is it's true, and McVay does back out, and the Rams job is available. He takes the Rams job. Sure. There's that's a no brainer. Uh, and that's the Vikings will be caught up in the, uh, a bad situation. Uh, I think he's going to be the head coach of the Vikings. I believe that if he brings Wes Phillips along with him as his, he's that that's the passing game coordinator, tight ends coach for the Rams. He'll have another set of eyes and voice of what the Rams have done so well. You know, the Vikings will be rewarded for their patience in hiring this guy. If it doesn't work out, then they got burned. So I can turn off my car out in the garage. I don't have to be. Uh, yeah. I, uh, uh, yeah. There's someone out there that'll coach. Zimmer's still available. So. <laughs> so is Harbaugh. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and so is Raheem Morris. But uh, if, we're, if we're looking for a coach with uh, Super Bowl, a uh, ring coming to his finger. Uh, there's another one, but uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. I and mean, you know, it, and it does, it takes just one person to say one thing and then everybody to spread it like wildfire on Twitter and, and what have you. And uh, this tortured fan base to, to run with it to uh, the extreme, which I, we, I have just done, but uh, I mean, but I, 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 this may get dated here soon, but uh, I mean, for PA, for I didn't hear that, but for PA to say he was told not to show up, 
I don't know the context of what he said, how he said it or what happened there, but, uh, you know, that's interesting. I mean, that's not, uh, that's someone that's inside the building. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, again, until he, until he's here and, and, and uh, Mark will shakes his hand and everyone takes pictures. Yeah. Anything could happen. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I'm going to, for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to assume that, uh, he will uh, have his parade and then he'll get on a plane and come out here and, and the Vikings will have a coach next year uh, of this team. Um, and it'll be Kevin O'Connell. And, you know, in, in uh, that regard, just, just talking about him, uh, you had a, you had a, a piece in the, in the tribune on Sunday or maybe it was Sunday, maybe it was Saturday or Sunday about the McVeigh coaching tree. And uh, it was kind of interesting on how here's a guy, 36, youngest uh, coach to ever win a Super Bowl, and he's already got this 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 coaching tree out there where where people are uh, people that have been under him are coaching for other teams now. Um, you want to talk about that story and just what you found and, and what you found interesting about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, kicking the tires. I, I couldn't help but think you know, spend the whole week kicking tires of uh, both Super Bowl teams. You know. Uh, yeah, not only O'Connell, but all the players that play under him, assistant coaches, uh, McVeigh, uh, Zach Taylor, who was from that tree. Uh, it took me back to December of 2019, sitting down with Zimmer. I'm sitting with him outside the indoor practice facility where he's 10 and, or he's eight and four at the time on his way to 10 and four. He's not, you know, uh, kind of feeling his oats as a defensive old school wizard and all the talk is about LaFleur being in green Bay and the Sean McVay tree and all this stuff. And Zimmer, he was, you know, confident in himself uh, as a good career said, I, you know, this gets my juices flowing. This is I want to be the guy to prove that, that I can figure this stuff out. All these different, you know, rockets and guys going this way, that way. And the other, so I quoted him at the top of that story about this is the picture in 2019 inside TCO. And, um, you know, and he's like, I want to be the guy to prove that he can stop it. Well, yeah, after that, Zimmer goes to 10 and 4. And then after that point, he, go, he coaches another 37 games, goes 16 and uh, 21. As you know, they, they, they lose three straight to uh, division titles to LaFleur, who's a McVeigh tree guy. They get knocked out of the uh, 2019 playoffs by Shanahan, who's another young you know, coach alongside McVeigh in Washington, another one of those young guns. And then ultimately he gets fired and gets replaced by a 36-year-old offensive guy uh, who's been a coordinator for three years coming from the McVay tree. So it's the complete and utter full circle of where we were, where the Vikings were in 2019 in December, heading toward that playoff run where they beat the Saints down there uh, to where we are now, just complete 180. Uh, if you're going to make changes, this is big uh, – might as well go big, and this is a big, big change that they've made. Um, how important is that to have a tree like that, or have have a guy that's been on a tree, has been around, exposed to to a certain maybe trendy new way of doing things, or a team with success? Well, McVay's had it now; he's had both. He's been to a Super Bowl twice in three years, four years, is it? And and uh, now he finally won one, and uh, so he's got to have have some. Thing that's working well that to to, to have the success and is is that important or is there is there better to have just a new approach that come in from the outside or maybe an old, old approach like Zimmer was for a while it was it was good for a while with Zimmer but uh, eventually things change I guess. Well, I think it can't hurt, but also it's not a guarantee. It's just like you know, who, if if any coach in the history of the league would have a you think would have a solid tree, it'd be Bill Belichick. But all of Belichick's, you know, disciples coming off of that tree are the Matt Patricias of the world, the you know, Romeo Cornells. Uh, we'll see what McDaniel McDaniel's could be the guy that finally does something. But he went to Denver and didn't succeed. So uh, for two years or whatever it was. So I think it helps. I, in this case, I think it helps because as I, uh, you know, talking to these guys and Zach Taylor was fantastic talking about the new. We're in a different era. This is a different. Uh, and it's good it's for guy, guys to admit it. Like, uh, you know, in Zimmer and his era, and, and I'm, I like that era. That's where I'm from too. But 
you know, Zimmer's more of like, they'll hear from me. You know, they'll get to do it my way. Boom, boom. And it, that's how he, you know, he was more of the parcels, you know, my way is the only way. And now you're seeing got kid coaches that are in their thirties are admitting that, that we're, we're in a different era where players are different. College players are different. Pro players are different. They need to be handled differently. They need to be, uh, you know, have, have ownership in, uh, in how things are done. And, you know, you and I would sit here and say, ah, that, you know, don't do that, but that's not going to work. They got to find a way to be a new modern coach like this. And McVay's found a way to do that. Players have responded to it. So, and I think that he's going to get more out of, if they keep Kirk Cousins, he's going to probably get this guy, O'Connell, get more out of Kirk. Um, That's a slippery slope, whether you want to go down that or you see what you can get for him in a trade. But uh, I think uh, you heard a lot of, you know, Eric Kendricks, who probably the most, I would one of the most, if not the most respected player, you know, with Zimmer, with uh, people that didn't like Zimmer, with everybody. Um, guy could be three-time All-Pro right now if it wasn't for injuries and stuff like that. But when he said, you know, a fear-based leadership is not the way to go, that said a lot about what that locker room was like right. and the, the change that is needed, uh, was needed. Zimmer had his shot. He got to end to the end. The end was extremely ugly for how his leadership was in that locker room. We're hearing more and more about it, just how bad it was. Um, so they got their fresh start with this young guy. And so I'm not saying that it's, it's going to work. It's guaranteed to work because it came from McVay. Uh, but McVay has, you know, uh, Zach Taylor made, made a Super Bowl in three years, but Zach Taylor also went six twenty five and one in his first two years. So, yeah. Um, you know, and then they found the quarterback and they turned it around right away. Um, you know, Brandon Staley, one year as defensive coordinator, goes to the Chargers. He's nine and eight in his first year. That's pretty good. Um, Matt LaFleur uh, has been so successful that the ends of his seasons are starting to work against him because it should be celebrated that he's the only coach ever to, to start with 13, or 13 wins three straight years in a row. He makes, makes two conference title games. But now it's starting to shift about can he finish it? So, but I would put him in a very successful, a very successful hopper of a of a tree. So I think this is the kind of the kind of things that they need is this younger approach. Does you know you brought up the Belichick uh, example, and that's true. His tree has not been as fruitful. Uh, uh, is it because of the way that head coach, the head of that tree, the root of that tree, to to hack up this this metaphor? Delegates. I mean, uh, Belichick seems to me to be a more really in charge and really involved. Where um, I, I know McDaniel did did operate uh, the offense, but uh, is is a guy like McVay delegating more and letting other these younger underlings do things that they're ready to step in as head coaches because they've had so much experience operating the game or whatever it takes to to be a head coach? Is, is there something there to that? I mean, that's, that's a good question because, you know, McVay also calls his own plays. So, um, yeah. but I, you know, my, my feeling would be that um, Belichick probably is more of, that probably doesn't delegate as much as say a younger, like uh, McVay. Don't know that for sure, but I know when he was, you know, and I'm also basing a lot of what I know about him from Cleveland. And that's been eons ago. He's a different guy than Cleveland. Um, he's, he's admitted that he grew, he grew, you know, through his time in Cleveland, but also what helped him was becoming successful because whenever he was not successful, he was just the grouchy little guy that, you know, uh, that wouldn't look players in the eye. It wouldn't, a lot of things you're people saying about Zimmer, you know, they would say about, uh, the way Belichick was in Cleveland, you know, it didn't, uh, wouldn't bend. It didn't look us in the eye. Didn't, didn't give the players a respect. Then he became successful, and it was like all of a sudden players were looking to, begging to go to him. Even the Randy Mosses of the world were like, "Thank God I'm in New England, so I can win a ring or, or try to wear win a ring with this guy." So the perception, reality, swift switched for him when he became successful. Obviously, it's really interesting that uh, uh, Belichick is a guy who is old school or was old school, but has apparently, like you said, maybe grown a little because he's having success in this new era. Now he may be struggling going forward without Tom Brady and, and we may see him come down to earth a little bit more, but he did make the playoffs again this year after 
one Brady, one year without Brady. So it's, I think he's the rare dinosaur, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, the, the coaches that are having success are in this new year. I mean, San Francisco, uh, Green Bay, uh, Arizona, and of course the Rams, you know, you got these young coaches that are up and coming. So it's, it's, we're in the kind of a flux here. So you wonder how much longer a guy like, uh, Belichick wants to stick around and, and try to uh, maybe that's what he's chasing still. You know, I, I, I got to try. I mean, I think it's, it's just in his blood. I think it's, it's what he, what he loves to do. Um, but I also think he's chasing that uh, Don Shula number too. You know, obviously yeah. he's getting close to, he's getting close to that, to that number. Um, and what he did this year, I, I came very close to voting for him for coach of the year because, you know, rookie quarterback, the fifth one of the five quarterbacks, they win 10 games. The other four quarterbacks won a total of nine games. Uh, Belichick gets him into the playoffs. And uh, I thought that was a tremendous coaching job. Um, but, you know, Mike Vrabel dealt with so much more injury-wise and, yeah. and um, you know, losing his best player for, for more than half the year, stuff like that. But, yeah, and also there's <laughs> there aren't many dinosaurs left because – you know, they're just, uh, uh, I don't know if you call Sean Payton a dinosaur, but he's a Parcells guy. He steps away for probably a year or whatever. Maybe he's going to go into TV. Who knows? Um, you know, Sean McVay at 36 years old has been in the league for five years or five or six years. Six. He's now he's now number seven or number six on the seniority list. That's phenomenal. Uh, and that's by, a, that's by one day because uh, – he and McDermott were hired like January 11th and 12th. So he's a, he's a top five seniority guy and he's 36 years old. So you've seen the league, you know, do this. You've seen, um, see him go that they're recycling into, um, into the young offensive guys. And it's, you know, Zimmer was fighting that, (laughs) trying to sweep the ocean back on that one in Minnesota and, you know, got his, he got his licks in, he, you know, did pretty well against Rodgers and and uh, made some playoffs and uh, but it just ultimately wasn't enough to keep his job and also to keep Minnesota free of you know basically joining what's you're seeing around the NFL and I think you know even for the people that uh, like myself I, I like Zimmer I liked I liked this style and stuff uh, when it was working people seemed to like it but whenever it didn't work uh, then they hated him so. That's kind of how fans are. But I, I do think it's exciting for fans and even people that may have liked Zimmer to see this new approach and to see how it's going to play out with, uh, you know, the Justin Jeffersons and Kendricks and maybe Kirk Cousins um, having a coach that can better relate to. Well, I hope that's the case. I, I'm older than you, and I and I like Zimmer, and I'm a kind of an old-school guy, but I'm really looking forward to something new. So let's, I'm hoping that it, it happens here on Thursday, and this just isn't – it's just a bunch of smoke that never – Happen, uh, you know, that, that O'Connell comes in here and becomes the coach. Well, uh, let's let's run down some some names that we we do know who are coming in here or or have signed or are going to be part of the staff. Which I think is weird. Do, do we think that uh, O'Connell's had uh, a say in some of this of the hirings that have been made since? Oh since yeah, yeah, sure. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and then he would back out. Damn, that's that's. Uh, that that puts a whole organization in a limbo if he does that. I mean, they got guys coming in here that are committing to O'Connell, and then you know uh, he signs out. I think uh, uh, you mentioned Wes Phillips earlier as the uh, he's an offensive coordinator type passing and coordinator out in LA this year. Is you know and son son of Wade Phillips and grandson of Bum Phillips uh, for anybody that remembers that name. Um, is that what you're hearing that he's coming in and, and if O'Connell comes that he's going to, he's going to come in and help out on the offensive side. Yeah. Be offensive coordinator or a passing game coordinator. Uh, however they work it out. He'll be a fun guy to have around that, that, that Phillips family. I, I, I spent some time last week, virtual interviews talking to Wes Phillips, um, you know, has that same kind of that Phillips sense of humor. I was asking guys because you know, you assume that all the people that are friends with the guys like, Tell me why you think he'll be successful in, in Minnesota as head coach. And I asked that to, to Wes Phillips, and he said, who said I thought he'd be successful? <laughs> and, he said, and, and then he says, you know, I'm just kidding, because he doesn't – he catches himself because that could be a quote, you know. Right. Um, but uh, I think, you know, he. I like that uh, 
generally whenever a coach comes in like that from a staff, they don't a successful staff that's not getting all getting blown out. They have sort of an agreement not to bring a lot, not to bring guys with them or not to bring a lot of guys with them. But I think this helps this guy, uh, this helps O'Connell have another set of eyes, a person with a good personality can relate to players and also has that Rams, you know, what they, this culture, I hate that using that word because it's the new word every time someone comes in, but the atmosphere that they want to create, here's another guy that's been there, done that and can help him do that. So, you know, I, I like that. Um, do we think so, that, that he would bring, you know, when you got two guys from that offensive side of the ball in LA, they're going to bring a lot of that with them as far as a, a game plan or a, a game strategy. Kind well, of yeah, thing. I think a lot of what they do, you know, we talk about trees. Well, Sean McVay obviously comes from the, the Mike Shanahan tree from uh, which Shanahan talk about a, a tree. That's a, that's the Oak. That's the, uh, the Redwood uh, of so many guys that ultimately funnel back up to, to Mike Shanahan and how he does things now over, you know, the game's changing and over the years, a uh, rule change. And so they, it, it gets a little more, uh, complicated or a little much expands and evolves, but ultimately Kyle Shanahan, uh, the Kubiaks, um, McVeigh, they come from that similar style offense, which is why whenever they hired O'Connell, it was kind of the belief is, you know, they're going to be a team that's, that says, you know, that will keep Kirk Cousins for at least a year um, because Kirk was going to be familiar with this system. However, it shakes out. He, the, the roots of this system is going to be something that Kirk Cousins is familiar with. And sometimes a lot of this systems and things and everything gets a little bit overblown. It's like when you look at the Rams and, um, you know, if that game had ended one drive earlier <laughs> where uh, we wouldn't be talking about McVay's system and McVay, the offensive genius and all this stuff, but ultimately comes down to a, a drive where uh, they go 15 plays and 80 yards or whatever it is. And it's two players there's no your running game is gone. Your number two receiver, who was on his way to game MVP, is gone, and it come becomes these two guys working within what Sean McVay has taught them and in the system, and then they kind of figure it out on their own on the field. That's what you want. You don't want the coach to be pulling all the strings on the sideline. You know this. So, so these guys took over, and you had two excellent players that got it done. Down, went down the field and scored. Um, yeah, so, you know, that would be, uh, I mean, I, I think for a guy like Kirk Cousins and, and a lot of these offensive players that, you know, Kirk has, since he's been in Minnesota has had like six different offensive coordinators, you know, and he, he's going to get another one this year. So, uh, uh, the, the, the less, uh, difficult the system is to pick up for him and uh, uh, the quicker they can get back up to speed. And, you know, usually it's a change of terminology or something and then he can. So I'm hoping that that's the case, you know, so that this, this, you know, it, it isn't a big deal. I want him to do some things different than they've, they've done this past season, you know, as most of the fan base does, but uh, yeah, hopefully it isn't a huge learning year for this, for this offense. Uh, the Vikings did hire Ed Donatell as their defensive coordinator. We know that much. Um, and they hired uh, Mike Patine on as a defensive staff, uh, on staff as a special assistant. What What are your thoughts there about uh, Donatell? I guess first. Well, we you know we were talking last week about what what we were uh, expecting at defensive coordinator, and uh, I don't even know the guy's name. The up and comer young guy from Detroit, and I, oh, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't, August, I don't, I don't August I think, yeah, maybe that guy's agent threw his name out there. I never believed that for a minute because you get a young offensive coach coming in. Obviously, it's going to be – he's from the McVay tree. You're going to get like a Wade Phillips, a 70-year-old guy that's your defensive coordinator that you trust. Well, you know, Ed Donatello is the same age as Zimmer. He's 65. Uh, Petten is 55. Uh, he has head coaching experience in Cleveland. I don't think it comes with an asterisk or not, but uh, Cleveland before uh, Andrew Barry and, and – uh, Stefanski, uh, you know, Donatell has been around for, he's got like 31 years of NFL experience. This guy was the defensive backs coach when John Elway was winning back-to-back Super Bowls with, with, uh, with, uh, uh, with the Broncos in, in the late nineties. He was, he was a Packers defensive coordinator. What? Uh, 2000, 2003 Patton was Packers defense, or was a defensive coordinator, right? 
defensive yeah. coordinator from uh, 18 to 20. Both of them got fired, but both of them had a little bit of success. Uh, I think uh, in 2001, uh, uh, Donna tells it was like fifth in uh, points allowed, which uh, was good. Uh, Petten had this run where you know, uh, LaFleur comes in, they make back-to-back NFC championship games, but he gets fired because you know, what happened in that 2000 NFC championship game, they couldn't contain Brady when they needed to. So they, you know, it's a hard way to lose a job. You're 13 and three, you make the NFC championship game and you get fired. So uh, both of them had success. Both of them had failures in green Bay. Um, you know, I sort of like that. Uh, I like the fact that, that Donatel has all this experience. He's bringing a completely fresh look. It's going to be a three, four defense, which we haven't seen here. And I don't know how long, Right. Um, so, does, you know, it's. That, I was just gonna say, is that is that kind of thing that's gonna uh, uh, keep Anthony Barr around? Uh, they might consider keeping him around because they always have talked about he he's a three four linebacker anyway. Um, yeah, no, I mean his contract's up, and I think his you know where he's at in his career, the fact that he's he'd be he'd be wanting some more money um, probably. I don't think he's, you pay him. I, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes, Joe. There's going to be, um, yeah. to me, looking at that defense, everything's on the table except I think maybe Eric Kendricks. You know, uh, I could you know, Hunter's got that huge deal that's coming due, and or that uh, the third third day of the league year. What do you do with that for a guy that's only played six games in two years with all the injuries? He's a hard guy to get let go, but he's also a hard guy to to give all you know give all your money to. Um, Harrison Smith at his age, and who knows how what they what the new thoughts are on, on a new defense or how he fits. Um, I mean, the changes that were coming, not just a general manager and, and head coach, those are what we get to see now and get to talk about and have fun with now. But ultimately, what the changes that really are going to matter is what you know, we're going to see a lot of people leaving and a lot of people coming in. Yeah, uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a whole different team. They've already lost Andre Patterson to the Giants, which is kind of a it's kind of too bad. I know uh he, he was he always he was great with the media, and I know that that you really had a good relationship with him. We lost uh Ryan Frickin to the Chargers, he's a special teams coordinator. And uh, that that one uh, bothers me a bit just because the special teams I thought played really well this past year after having not done it previously. So I thought he he was a uh, he would have been one I would have liked to have kept around. And then they did keep Keenan McCardle, uh, which is great. And all the people in the receivers rooms are happy about that. He did a great job with this receiving staff. So there's, there's a, a, a few names I'll throw at you and, you know, take anyone and, and let me know what you think. Uh, first of all, it's Ficken, but I actually like Frickin better. So, Oh man. <laughs> I like fr- Frickin. You can use the uh, headlines. You like so much. Frickin' would be so much better for, like, a headline purposes and stuff. Uh, well, uh, I mean, Ryan, that R gets in there. And he just yeah, so, I mean, to me, he's a, you know, he was good. Uh, he learned from. Uh, uh, I just don't know how I feel about it, that he's frickin' gone. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, he learned under Prief. Uh, Prefer did a good job, and he learned from him. And uh, But a lot of their improvements, let's face it, a lot of the improvements were they, they found a kicker that had some confidence. And they also found a one hell of a kick returner, uh, and then they got some. They got younger with some of the blocking cover guys, so uh, they'll find somebody that uh, that can handle and put the special teams together. The key is that the players that they he'll have this new guy will have to work with. Uh, you know, losing Patterson is tough for the for the uh, for the locker room. It's tough for a guy like uh, the, all those defensive linemen that he had great relationships with. Uh, Daniel Hunter, tremendous relationship with him. But I, I totally see it. It's if you're going to start new with a with a fresh slate, and you're blowing, and you've you you know chopped Zimmer down and got rid of him. Yeah, you know, the thing you probably don't want to do is keep the guy that was Zimmer's right hand man, at best one of his best friends for 31 years, coached with him at several stops and including the last eight years in Minnesota. Not that I'm not saying that Andre would have rocked the boat with a new coaching staff, but I think. What that does is by getting rid of by by letting him move on to to, to the Giants job, is that uh, like say you come in and you're you're O'Connell and you're Donatello and you're saying we're going to do this this and this, 
and guys, you know, as soon as the, as soon as the meeting is over, the guys would go to, go to Patterson and go, can you believe we're going to do it this way? Well, we should be doing it that way. Things like that. So I think yeah. you've got to, if, if you're going to get, if you're going to clean house, you got to clean house of, of the guy, every, every like piece of furniture that that guy had in his house, you know, you got to just kind of move on because that's the purpose of the, of these changes is starting over and keeping Patterson around while it would have been great for the locker room. Beloved coach, uh, wish him well. I, this guy should be a defensive coordinator. He's never had a, he's never had a, a, an opportunity as an interview as a head coach, let alone become a full, uh, full blown uh, coordinator. His co co defensive coordinator the last couple of years with under Zimmer. So uh, and, uh, that, that works to McCardle's advantage that he hasn't been here that long that they can keep a guy like that around. Well, I think receivers are different animals. They're different people, and uh, they're more finicky. Uh, this guy, it, this is a guy that has uh, the trust. Of, receiver, so be careful. Yeah, this is a guy who has the trust of, you know, the they're probably the face of the franchise. I don't know offense to Dalvin Cook or Kirk, uh, but Justin Jefferson is your is your superstar. Uh, not that they don't have others, but you know, not saying that he's going to be a diva or that he's heading that way, but he's also a guy that you want to make sure that you take care of. You're extra careful about making sure he's happy. That's you know th- that's a position that typically gets coddled a little bit more, and that's just a if you're going to be new era, new wave, uh, new age, uh, taking care of your receiver and making sure he's happy is is part of that. And McCardle, and on top of that, McCardle's a real good coach. Um, and as a guy who I mean, I covered him in Cleveland in 1992. Whenever he, uh, Belichick got him as a Plan B guy from a free agent from from Washington. So he was a no, he was one of those guys came in as a nobody at the bottom of the roster. And by the week, first week of training camp, you're like looking down to see who's number, I think you wore number two. It was like, who's number two, you know? And, and he's, so he has that rags to riches. Um, he's come up the hard way so he can relate to the Adam Thielens, but he also can relate to the just, uh, to the Justin Jefferson's. So he's a really good coach. and That's a good, good guy to keep. I would think. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. Hopefully, I got this right. But they they had Deshae Townsend in as secondary coach, and then he went somewhere else. Is that correct? I believe so. Uh, what the heck happened there? I, it's like you said, it's not done until it's done. I guess. No, no, it's it's definitely not done. It's, I mean, it's especially it's there's moving parts and uh, teams are teams are used to getting this taken care of like two weeks before the Super Bowl, not a week after the Super Bowl. Um, it's crazy that decisions can be made, you know, like you feel like you have to rush it whenever, you know, couldn't they just take a breath on the schedule and, you know, move the combine back, <laughs> move the draft back a little bit. Just, although I, I don't know, if I, can, I, don't I, can handle, I don't know if I could handle any more draft, uh, you know, mock drafts and stuff. So maybe don't move the draft back. I don't, I, 12 or whatever weeks is enough of speculation on who's going to be picked uh, 12th overall. Yeah. Um, uh, they, Kwesi did hire, uh, Ryan Grigson former with the Colts, uh, as kind of, a, a assistant GM or some kind of thing in there. It's, and he had a, well, I mean, if you're to believe what you read on Twitter and such a, a checkered career there, we came in and ruffled some feathers by letting some people go in, in Indianapolis that, uh, were long time, uh, faves. Uh, what, what do you think of that hire and what do you think he brings to the table? Yeah, you know, I, I like that Quasey's not afraid uh, to bring in voices. And to me, it's another voice. It's another set of contacts. Uh, sure doesn't help. You know, uh, I don't know what his relationship is around the league, but I know that not everybody dislikes him. So you bring in a voice. You bring in a guy who's been there. You bring in a guy that has contacts. Um, and I don't know Ryan Grigson. I don't know his personality. My only concern would be bringing in a guy like that who's, who's like, helping you on with one hand, but got a knife to your back on the other, trying to take your job. And I would imagine two things. Quasey's too smart to, to bring that on. Uh, you don't want yes men, but you also don't want people that are, um, you know, if it was a player, be lock, locker room lawyers, you know, like campaigning against you. Uh, I think Quasey's way too smart to, to, to know, to, to get involved with someone who's going to try to undermine him. I think you know, I can't hurt uh, getting a guy in with, with experience. 
yeah, I think it's I think it's important just to have somebody to bounce things off and um, maybe someone you know, like you said, with that experience. And speaking of which, I'm hoping they're going to keep Rob Brzezinski around to uh, uh, help him manage the cap because that's going to be a huge challenge for him this year. They're they're very close, or if not, I guess they're over the cap, and they've got some big decisions that we've talked about for weeks and will continue to in in their quarterback. But uh, and even more, Daniel Hunter and. Harrison Smith, as you were alluding to. Um, and, yeah, so uh, Brzezinski's not going anywhere, is he? No, no. Rob, Rob's among the best at what he does. And, you know, he's got a great job. Uh, it's one of those where you're, uh, he has a huge, huge impact on what is put on the field. But ultimately, he it's not his decision to put <laughs> who's on the field. So, he gets every, he gets whatever the the guy making the decision wants, you know, within reason. Obviously, I mean, like they couldn't put Kirk and all the Zimmers after 2019. They're not even Rob Brzezinski could do enough magic to to give Zim all his defenders and give basically Spielman, <laughs> Kirk, and have it all work together. That's when they started getting rid of guys. They had to, they had to let them go, you know, for, for cap reasons. But you know, Rob doesn't make the decision on who who gets on the field, but he makes sure that within reason they get on the field. Um, so whenever it doesn't work out, it's, it's not his fault. And, uh, so if you want to avoid the NFL, um, revolving door or, or have your head chopped off by the owner, you, uh, you find a job, you'd be as good at your job as Rob Brzezinski is in handling the salary cap. He's also got a uh, good taste. He likes Mankato beer. I, I know he used to go down there when, when the Vikings oh. Mankato, so He's all right in my book, that's for sure. Thirty six, thirty two. That's uh, we gotta keep yes. track. What's your what's your average on? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I've been a little late recently, so I had to move it up. Uh, you know, I was gonna say what next question is what's next for the Vikings, but what's next is getting Kevin O'Connell signed on the bottom line, and and everything else after that will be gravy, I would think, until they start into free agency. So uh, let's take a quick break. Um, and have a t- have a swig of our Mankato beer and brewery beer, and uh, we'll be back with a few more a uh, few more headlines, and we'll talk about that game. There was a game played on Sunday. I don't know if you we're aware of that or not, but uh, come on back to Vikings territory breakdown with myself and Mark Craig. Okay, we're back to uh, Vikings territory breakdown. Uh, Mark Craig from the Star Tribune and the NFL Insider, the guy with his finger on the pulse of. Uh, the league and uh, he was you had a busy uh, last few weeks with you know as as a Hall of Fame voter and presenter of Jared Allen and uh, uh, voter on all the season awards for the uh, 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 this regular season. So uh, uh, tell me, let's 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 talk about Jared first. He didn't he didn't make he didn't make it to the hall. He didn't get his uh, call to the hall this time. I think I, I'm not sure how many years he's been eligible, but. Uh, um, he was another. He was a finalist again. And can you tell us what happened with the process and and what are the prospects for Jared going forward? <clears throat> yeah, we, I mean, we we met virtually for uh, seven and a half hours on January eighteenth. The the miracle of all miracles is forty nine people like me. Uh, well, I shouldn't say all like me because Tony Dungy's a Hall of Fame selector, uh, Bill Polian, uh, Dan Fouts, James Lofton. So there's four guys that I would put a little notch or two above they, me they on that because they've gone from the game to the media right so suddenly they can get uh, eligible uh, i mean it's uh you know people would always say oh, i'll have the players vote well first of all the players when you set 15 people down in front of them and tell them to cut hey, ask tony dungy or ask some of the uh james lofton and dan fouts and napoleon uh, has experience at uh, and sort of dungy you know, they had to make tough choices in their careers as far as cutting guys and stuff but that's a hard thing to do and, and also a lot of guys uh, do not uh, stay involved in the in the in the process anymore, or the or the league anymore. So that they're not. I mean, obviously they they played the game. They're they're knowledgeable, but they're not following it like the people that are uh, the selectors and uh, the process. And I'm not defending the process. If the process is what the process is, and that's their rules, and I don't have anything to do with it. So yeah, we this is the kind of the time of year where everyone attacks. You know, the, the people who are selectors and the people who, who we put in and all this. Uh, the process is what it is. So uh, as far as Jared, you know, this was a year where the clear message that was sent by the majority of the 49 people who are selectors is 
they're going to clear the decks of guys that have waited a long time. Sam Mills mm. was in his 20th year of eligibility, his last year of eligibility as a modern era player. Uh, I'm not saying this is not, I'm, I'm going to tick these off and I'm not saying if I was agree or disagree, but uh, so he gets in because of that. Um, uh, there were two guys, uh, Tony Bozzelli is a guy that we have talked about. This was his sixth time as a finalist, uh, 16 years of eligibility. He gets in. It was kind of a clear the decks. We've talked about this guy forever. Uh, and so yeah, the argument was too short a career versus a powerful four-year where he was the best there was at left tackle. So that ultimately wins out. The latter wins out. Uh, Leroy Butler, who I thought probably should have been in earlier. I, I was a big uh, supporter of Leroy Butler. He was, he was like the only all-decade player from, they said, the, I believe it was the 50, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, like six decades, five or six decades that was not in the Hall of Fame. And he was a four-time All-Pro. Uh, and, he, and he has a Super Bowl ring. So he got well, he, he gets in. He was and just because he invented a telus, uh, touchdown celebration, but other. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but he was in his 16th year of eligibility, so he gets in. Um, <laughs> there was a 10-year guy. Da, 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 da. Um, I'm drawing a blank. I'm getting old, Joe. Oh, yeah. Bryant Young, defensive tackle for the 49ers. He gets, I mean, he was a one-time All-Pro. A lot of people are emailing me and texting me and Twitter, you know, tweeting at me about Kevin Williams is a five-time All-Pro guy. Bryant Young's a, a first-year guy, a one-year All-Pro. He had been waiting for 10 years to get in. He gets in. Kevin Williams has not even been a finalist yet uh, in his two years of eligibility. I think it's two years. So, yeah, I've, a lot of times people will ask me questions. I don't have the answers. It's, you know, it's a very – Yes, uh, you're just not telling us. Sometimes a very strange process. And then the last one was a guy, uh, uh, Richard Seymour, who I, who I, Richard Seymour is a classic example of a guy who doesn't have the stats that uh, some guys have, but I believe was a Hall of Famer. He, he was a five-time eligible, four-time finalist, just a guy that he was a piece that Belichick used um, to create those de- those great defenses in that one the first wave of the Super Bowls. Um, so he gets in after five years. So the guys like Jared, uh, there were three first year guys that didn't get in. Uh, Devin Hester, you know, and I introduced a punt returner into the the process. Uh, Demarcus Ware, who had a very similar career to Jared, he's he's a first year guy. And then um, Andre Johnson, receiver for the Texans, was a first year guy. They all had to wait. So we have. It's been a long time since there hasn't been a first-year eligible guy go in, uh, and Jared's in his second year as a finalist, second year of eligibility. So, um, you know, the process is you take 15, you cut it to 10, and then you cut it to five, and then you vote on the five. Uh, that's how we did it this year. Uh, last year we we cut 15, 10, and then they made us vote yes or no on the final 10, as if or we we cut it to five, but they wouldn't tell us the five. Um, they said vote on the 10 as if they had made the five because they were trying to basically, they didn't trust us to keep our mouths shut. Uh, and sometimes I wouldn't, uh, maybe I wouldn't uh, blame them in that. Some of the people that, that would, but this time they, they, they agreed during the meeting to change the rules and let us know who the final five were. Cause basically what happens now, you're probably never going to see a year where you get the five. Cause once they get the five that you got to have 80% yes votes out of 49 to get in. Years past, you know, years ago, uh, those five may not all get, all of them may not get 80%, but I think we've reached a point where people are, once they get to the five, they're, they go in. What so, Jared uh, Jared got cut two years in a row. Jared was cut 15 uh, before they got to 10. So he was one among the first five out. Oh. Um, so both times. So that's, and DeMarcus Ware this time, he made the final 10 in his first year. Um, very similar careers. Both of them are, um, you know, we're within like two and a half sacks of each other. Uh, uh, Ware is like ninth with 138 and a half, and Jared is 12th with 136. Both of them four-time first-team All-Pro. Uh, where Ware has the edge, uh, at least in that room, is from, from my reading of the room, 
is he is a uh, he was part of an all decade team, second team, uh, and also he's won a Super Bowl ring. Now, you know my one of my arguments is uh, I, I love the all decade teams, but I also feel that uh, I'm not saying this is uh, this relates to where because I I'm, I forget when he started his career, but Jared was a 2004 guy to 2013 or 15 guy. So Jared had a, there was a decade where Jared was the most dominant pass rusher in this league. And he led everybody in, in sacks. He had uh, like uh, four first team all pro in a six year period. No other defensive end had more than one in that six years. Uh, he led the league in third down sacks, led the league in, uh, uh, like forced fumbles. He's got a career, his career for safeties is, is tied to the record. So there he's, and also he played on two you know, Vikings uh, run defenses that were number one. And I think one that was number two. So the perception that I believe of Jared as this guy who was just a pass rusher is, is overblown. Cause he, he played, as I talked to Leslie Frazier and different people, uh, his responsibilities he had to play the run as well, and he did it pretty well. He's not well, probably wasn't Reggie White you know, as a pass rusher or a run defender, but there was a period where this guy was the best. But his his tenure domination is like half of one decade, half of the other. So you end up not being able to be in this decade all team or this decade all team. So um, I think you know this the conversation this year. I I get the impression that <clears throat> there's more momentum for him to become a Hall of Famer. Uh, unfortunately for Jared, and uh, and these guys know this, there's only, there's two layers of Hall of Famers. There's the Hall of Famer, like when, uh, you know, say, Tom Brady in five years, <laughs> you, you basically, with him, I'd have to say both both names. Like, like with Brett Favre, the presentation was Brett Favre. And they sit down and everyone laughs. Uh, I've seen a few of those, you know, Emmett Smith, uh, Jerry Rice. Um, years ago, uh, you know, just, just other guys that, that come before. And uh, that's going to happen for Tom Brady. That's, that, that's that's the Hall of Famers of the Hall of Famers, the Jim Browns. Yeah. And then there's, you know, Jerry, it's not an insult to be a guy that maybe gets like a, like a, a John Lynch uh, was in that room for six, seven times. He was eligible for, I don't know, 10 years. We talked about Lynch, John Lynch so much. And then he got in last year or the year before. So, you know, unlike what T.O., how he felt about it, there's no shame in being a third-year or fourth-year guy going in. Yeah. You're still in. Um, you know, I think Alan Page was a third-year guy. Fran Tarkenton was a was a third-year guy or something like that. So um, once you get in, they can't take you out. Not even O.J. Simpson got taken out. Uh, yeah. So what, what yeah, did you think? What did you think about? I don't know if you saw it, but uh, apparently Richard Sherman was busting on the organization a little bit this morning or yesterday. He was on some radio show, but saying how the bar set so much lower. And this was a response to all the talk about Matthew Stafford now going to be is is he going to bit uh, shoot into the Hall of Fame because had this had a decent career in uh, Detroit, but uh, all of a sudden has, has wins the Super Bowl and now he should go to the Hall of Fame and. Uh, Sherman was really kind of, you know, saying, you know, I, you know, the bar so low now. Yeah, we'll probably everybody shouldn't be in there because of this or that. You know, he has one good season, blah, 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 blah. But uh, uh, how would you defend uh, uh, the Hall of Fame in that regard? Well, you know, I don't know that I have to defend him because, uh, I mean, Deion Sanders, as well, Deion Sanders was beating that drum. I forget who got in uh, a few years ago. Um I think there's you know some merit to some what people complain about um, because it's not um, a lot of times who gets in might be depend on who they're up against that year. Um, so I would say that that what I would say I'm trying to not tap dancing Joe, but I'm trying to say that you did say they were clearing the decks this year, and that's <laughs> yeah 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 that's yeah you're right. Um, but to me, I would say I, I would guard. What I would object to is saying that the bar is low. I, I think it's not low. I don't think there's anybody that's in that Hall of Fame who should be embarrassed about being in the Hall of Fame. Right. 
Um, it's probably, it's not as, uh, doesn't appear to be, I'm not involved in baseballs. Baseball seems to be a little bit more selective, I think. Yeah. I don't think I'm breaking any news there on that. So I don't know. I don't know what this, what the thing is. It's, it is interesting to see a guy that's probably going to make the Hall of Fame saying that and to hear Deion Sanders say that. Um, you know, so I would say it's the, the bar was never the Hall of Fame and the selectors don't ever let it get too low. No. I say. And I, you know, I, I think he's blowing off steam more than anything, and it's probably not fair to me to ask you that, you know, jump that on you. But, it, you know, no, it, it's not- it, it's response to uh, Stafford. And I don't think Stafford should make it just on this game. But anyway. Well, I think, but the Stafford's like a, you know, I say one good year. I mean, Stafford, um, you know, I could see the people making that argument now because here's Jones. a guy that, right. Well, here's a guy that was in Detroit. I mean, he's got, I think more, he might have more 5,000 yard passing seasons than anybody. Really? Well, maybe Drew Brees. I, I'm not sure, but, he, but he's, Always had the numbers. Always had the everything you'd want in an individual career. I, I believe not, you know, within reason. Uh, and then gets this opportunity. Now, you know, what's he's not done yet. What if they win it again next year? Yeah. You know, there, there's Kevin O'Connell though. Yeah, there's there's an argument with uh, Eli Manning. I mean, he take yeah. out two seasons where they were actually pretty average during the regular season, got hot, and then they beat the greatest team maybe ever. In two Super Bowls and stopped one perfect season, uh, and Eli played a role in those postseasons. So, you know, uh, there's some people that say he's a shoe, and I'm, I'm, I'll be interested whenever his argument comes up, because no matter no matter who it is, unless it's you know, like I said, the, the people that I mentioned, the, the Hall of Famers of the Hall of Famers. If you're not in that group, then it's uh, you could probably throw out names, and you're going to have. Half the people saying he's oh he's a lock or he's a he's a you know he deserves to be in and other will say no he's not a Hall of Famer. One thing I don't like about in this whole discussion about Hall of Famers is when someone comes to me and says uh, a good example would be Antoine Winfield. Antoine Winfield was an excellent player. I mean, I, nobody was tougher at his size uh, that I can remember seeing play the game. One of the best old school throwback tacklers you're going to find. Played the position superbly, and people will say, "Was he? Is he a Hall of Famer?" And it's uncomfortable to say no because the mind of the other person automatically goes to this guy's, you know, horse crap, and that's not the case. There's a lot of great players that aren't Hall of Famers. Um, so, you know, Matthew Stafford, I would say right now is one of those great players that's not a Hall of Famer, but there's going to be people that say that he is. You know, you know it's interesting you bring up baseball, the, the comparison back and forth, and it just occurs to me now, and maybe this is true, maybe it's not, I don't know, but when you have 162 games a year and you have over a whole career, you have so many numbers to look at that tell that story. But when you're in an uh, NFL season, you have 16 games, now 17, a year, and you can get swayed by what you just described in Eli Manning. You know, all of a sudden he gets hot and these two ends of these after a mediocre season. And I don't even, I always thought he was a mediocre quarterback anyway, but you know, that kind of thing could sweep him. And it's just, it's, I think it's tougher to, to uh, other things factor in more than, I mean, you could just look at numbers in baseball and, and you could, you know, be fine and defend your vote one way or the other. I think it's a little more nuanced in, in uh, the NFL Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, so it's a lot more. Yeah, I mean, you know, and Eli will come in. He'll come up to bat with a, a 500 record. I believe he's a, he's sort of very Kirk Cousin-esque in a, an identical 500 record. <clears throat> I could be wrong, but he's with him one, one or two. But he's, he's got two Super Bowl wins against Tom Brady and the Patriots. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's powerful. Now, you know, like and the other thing that people don't understand is that we don't vote yes or no on all these guys. We have our individually, we have our our final ten. We individually have our final five, and then we all vote on those five. So you may okay say um, there's three guys: uh, Boselli, um, and I'm going to probably if people watching this who are Boselli fans or these other guys are probably going to like. Uh, take my head off, but I'll just say that. Uh, um, so, uh, Butler, Seymour, 
uh, were two guys that I was, you know, strong proponents of. You know, I, I believe that they um, should be in the Hall of Fame. I think I, ha- I had them all the way through my, my cut-down process. I didn't have Sam Mills that way. I didn't have uh, Ozelli that way. Um, who else was there? Did I name five of them? Oh, Bryant Young. I didn't have Bryant Young. I wouldn't have had him as a final five guy. Yeah. When they get to the final five and, and the voice, the, the room has spoken, do I feel comfortable voting yes or no on those guys? I did not feel comfortable voting no on those guys because they made it through the process to get to the five. Um, so that's that's the, probably the hardest part. Well, the hardest two hardest parts are going from 10 to five and then deciding whether you want to be, you know, the one that shoots down those final five guys. Yeah. That's a hard, that's a hard, that's a hard choice to make because you're, you have to really, really, to me, be 100% against that person to shoot them down at the end. Uh, if they make it to the final five. So a lot of times it's the, it's the group speaking. Um, now people will say that that group should be bigger. Uh, that group should include, it shouldn't include just 49 people. I, can't argue with that. If, if it's if it's qualified people and they open it up, then maybe you get more opportunities of people um, shooting people down at the end that maybe need to. As yeah. long as like, but one thing that makes the the, whole, the football a little more um, interesting to me is it's there's a discussion that's that's held. Um, I don't believe they have that in baseball. I think it's just straight votes, isn't it? Or I'm not uh, sure. They don't, so you have your opportunity. If, you, if you're really dead set against Tony Pacella, you speak up. If you don't, you know, they'll say they, they accuse people that don't speak up and then vote no silent assassins. And so yeah. you feel like if you, if you really got a strong opinion on a no, you may not have put him in your 10. You may have not have put him in your five. Um, but if you, if you have a strong opinion, you should, you should voice it before you get down to that final, that final vote. You see how tough it is in the room. It's pretty damn easy out here behind my keyboard. I don't have any problem. I mean, my yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to save some of the stuff we're going on the agenda for next time because we're running a little late, and I do want to get to the the Super Bowl market and get your thoughts on that. What what uh, what do you think of the game and uh, uh, your thoughts? Uh, I, I wish that the MVP voting was held till the end of the game. So do I. I think, Aaron Donald. Aaron right, Donald. I think I think Chris Collinsworth made a comment during the game. Cause I remember I've, I've voted a couple times for MVP when I've been at the Super Bowl, uh, and they start handing you the ballot at the end of the third quarter. Well, I think Chris uh, Collinsworth got his ballot around the time it was maybe around the time where the Rams were starting that last drive or whatever, uh, maybe even before that. And he's like, I have no idea who my MVP is. And he's right. At that point, you don't know who your MVP is. I'm not saying Cooper Cup was a bad choice. I, I, right. I thought maybe Stafford would win it. Uh, that's kind of the, the go-to as the, the winning quarterback. But the way Aaron Donald took over those last two plays and, and the way he played in the second half and, and the way that he affected the game, I mean, that third down run, you could say it was a bad call to run a backup running back or whatever up the middle. But but not only did he make the tackle, he, he like pulls the guy back um, – with a, with a fantastic play, and then the next play is even better. Um, I, he he would have been my MVP, and that was my my bold prediction. I had two: one, he would get four sacks. He only had two, uh, but that he win MVP, and I I think he would have won it. Uh, as far as the overall game, uh, I like how, in a way, this was kind of Matthew Stafford's career in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't say in a nutshell because the first part he has Odell Beckham. You're thinking that they're going to be able to at least run the ball a little bit, uh, but the running game's taken away from him. Which he, you know, in Detroit, how many years did he not have a running game? Uh, then he gets to where he has Odell Beckham gets hurt. How many years in Detroit did he only have Megatron? You know, and then they get to the end, and uh, he's got he and Cooper Cup take over the game, and, and uh, uh, Cooper Cup has that uh, the fourth down run, and then just uh, becomes a a dominant receiver and Stafford is there to find him. And um, that entertained me. There's a lot, a lot of the Super Bowl was kind of boring. I thought it's yeah. uh, a little slow moving, um, but I did like, even though, you know, 
I would love to have seen the Bengals win, even though I picked the Rams. But uh, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, to me, it was impressive. I mean, I, you can like him, hate him, whatever, uh, the Crockies and, and what LA did and everything. But they said they were going to do it. They did it. They paid for it and they, they accomplished it. That's, yeah. uh, that's pretty impressive. That's, you know, hats off to them. I, I uh, just have to double back just a quick. My, my predictive uh, measures were not not great in this game. I lost uh, money on the coin flip, which is 50-50 proposition. But the one thing I did say, I was texting back and forth with somebody who was asking me MVP, and he said Cup. And I said, uh, maybe Aaron Donald on this next series. And that's when he came through with the way you just described. So I was in the same boat. I mean, I felt that he was getting double teamed the whole game. That's not maybe making plays, but that's taking away – how many of these other defenders so you are uh, are blockers so that you can make plays? I thought he was he was by far the most uh, uh, effective on that game because it was a defensive struggle. And um, you know Matthew Stafford, I was real happy for him. Um, I don't know if you've seen this play that they're showing online right now where he this this you know, the throw he threw to cup up the middle in that last drive. He looked to the right. And looked off his defender and then threw it, you know, kind of back this way, no look pass, yeah. inches past the defense. It, they have a view of it from behind where you can see his eyes. It's incredible. I mean, it's the stuff we had seen Stafford do in Detroit for years, you know, sidearm passes. And he was doing it before uh, Patrick Mahomes ever got in the league. So um, seems like a decent guy. I was happy for him. Um, I know uh, Cincinnati is going to be back. They'll probably bolster that offensive line to give their quarterback some more protection that he needed. Uh, so they're going to be an up-and-coming team. But the AFC is tough. So I, I don't know. It was it was boring, but it was entertaining. And uh, I know you enjoyed it because you you didn't have to write about it. You got to sit back and have a beer. It's very, yeah, very strange. Uh, yeah, not uh, not reporting on this one. Oh. Yeah. Hopefully the so, world gets back to gets back to normal next year. <laughs> that would be nice. Can't happen sooner enough. Well, I, uh, before we go here, I want to introduce one more our, our new our new uh, segment that we'll have going forward since it is the off season. It's the golf question of the week. You know, as some of you may know, I'm the managing editor of Minnesota Golfer Magazine, and Mark writes a back page column for us called Backspin. So we're we're kind of interested in golf. But uh, did you see any? You saw some of the waste management uh, tournament. They're not calling the WM tournament. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I missed the uh, I missed the national anthem watching the waste management open. Oh well, th th there you go. And yeah, that, what's his name? Sam uh, Ryder gets a uh, hole in one on uh, on sixty, <laughs> and there's just showers of of fans throwing beer and water and cups and glasses and what have you. anything in their hands went out onto the uh onto the the 16th green and uh, to their credit it's waste management tournament so they were able to clean it up but i mean what what do you think of that it's a fun atmosphere out there but is is this a good thing for golf that you can just <laughs> lose like that so you're, you're you're thinking that maybe like a a reed mckenzie wouldn't be like sitting in that crowd uh <laughs> contemplating the putt. Uh, well, uh, my feelings are if I was in the crowd and I was drunk, I would love it. If I was in the crowd and I was sober, I wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> because yeah, I, I think it's unique. It's um, it is a you look forward to watching that tournament because of that hole. So uh, I like it. You know, I wouldn't want to be around it. I wouldn't want to. I mean, if I'm going to go buy ten dollar beer at a at a PGA, I'm, I'm going to stand off to the side and drink it. Uh, not throw it on my neighbor, but uh, right. I don't know. It's it's uh that I, I like the tournament because the crowd's different, uh, and and the, and the players embrace it. I think the, the players are almost conditioned to hear certainly on that hole, uh, but they're conditioned to hear more noise and a little bit more activity right. that's going on. And um and that hole is become and I love that it's always the Super Bowl weekend too because right. it's like you know when it is. Uh, it's fun to watch. They, they, they find really cool ways to, um, you know, by like the uh, wearing different jerseys and, you know, right, putting right. on a shirt for that. And Golf lets <laughs> down its hair a little bit on that day. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm not a uh, – My problem was, though, Mark, there was another uh, uh, hole-in-one on Sunday, and the same thing happened. And, and uh Later on, there was some of these competitors coming down the line. There was two guys that were vying for it. It was Scheffler and uh, Cantlay. And one of them was putting, and his ball hit something 
uh, pockmark in the green had bounced up two inches off the ground. So you got to know that that had to have been caused by something somebody chucked on the green. You know, it was. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that. Uh, I thought that was kind yeah, of. It's, it's it's fun. Uh, I I like it. But you know, two public course guys talking about this, Joe. I don't know. Yeah. So we, we, the next time we have to have a round table with some of the some of the blue bloods to see what their thoughts are on it. Maybe that's a good idea. Well, you know, we may talk a little more golf as season goes on and the uh, the dead season of the NFL, which doesn't exist, uh, starts happening. And uh, but there's plenty to plenty to come back here next week for to hear uh, about uh, what's going on with the Vikings because they're they're in a major state of flux here and uh we we need to get the the, the coach signed and get him in here get him on get him get him get him in purple clothes but uh thanks mark thanks for uh uh all your insight and uh we'll be talking about you next time about uh, uh the regular season awards i think that's something i'd like to hear i know you spent a lot of time online talking about that with folks and um uh, thanks mike Rowland behind the scenes and thanks for all, everybody for tuning in but we will see you uh next Tuesday for another edition of Vikings Territory Breakdown. Skull.